The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Burger Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Thursday, March 10th, 2022. Coming up this hour. Ukraine and Russia hold the highest level talks since the start of the war. Global stocks falling after yesterday's rally. Wall Street braces for another historic reading on inflation. And Amazon shares rally on a 20 for 1 stock split. The first licenses to sell recreational pot in New York will go to people with marijuana-related convictions. Plus, South Korea has elected a new president. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. Third straight win for the Knicks. St. John's advances and the baseball lockout continues. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak on Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow, and U.S. futures are lower this morning. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg, S&P futures down 22 points, Dow futures down 190, NASDAQ futures down to 98, and the 10-year Treasury up 730 seconds, yield 1.92%. Yield on the two-year, 1.66%. NYMEX crude oil up 4%. Nathan. All right, Karen, we begin this morning with the latest on the war in Ukraine. Foreign ministers from Russia and Ukraine have met in Turkey today for the highest level talks since the war began. Ukraine is signaling it's willing to negotiate terms to end the invasion. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. It says neutrality could be part of the equation. President Zelensky's deputy chief of staff, Ehart Zukova, says that ultimately it will be solved with a Zelensky-Putin face-to-face. So we asked the world community to assistance in having these direct negotiations to sit down with Putin at the negotiation table. Meanwhile, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby says the U.S. doesn't think Poland's idea to supply MiGs to Ukraine will work at this point. The intelligence community has assessed that the transfer of MiG-29s to Ukraine may be mistaken as escalatory. And Kirby says that would hurt Ukraine even further. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. 
Ed, thank you. Meantime, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is accusing Russia of war crimes. That's after an airstrike hit a maternity hospital in the besieged city of Mariupol. An aerial bomb on a maternity hospital is the conclusive evidence that what is happening is a genocide of Ukrainians. Europeans, you won't be able to say that you didn't see what happened to Ukrainians in Mariupol. You saw, you know. Consequently, you must strengthen sanctions against Russia so that it never has the chance to continue this genocide. President Zelensky says the attack killed three people, including a child, and that's according to Mariupol's city council. President Zelensky is still asking NATO to set up a no-fly zone, Karen, but the Pentagon warns that could escalate the situation. Illinois Democrat Raja Krishnamurthy sits on the House Intelligence Committee. We can't let Putin decide what we're going to do to help our friends defend their freedom. And so when President Zelensky asked us in a Zoom call about a week ago uh, to either enforce a no-fly zone or give him the means to do so, I think we should do whatever we can. Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy spoke with our Washington correspondent Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the program weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. Well, Nathan, the House has passed a more than $13 billion aid package for Ukraine as part of a measure to fund the U.S. government for the coming year. Amy Morris has the details from our Bloomberg 99.1 newsroom in Washington. The emergency Ukraine-related spending includes $6.5 billion for the Pentagon. That's $3 billion to bolster U.S. troops in Europe and $3.5 billion to replace weapons given to Ukraine. Coronavirus funding was taken out of the measure, and domestic agencies will get their biggest increases in years under the bill. Now it's up to the Senate to sign off on the legislation before the current stopgap measure expires Friday night. Just in case, the House also sent the Senate a four-day spending bill just to buy a little extra time. That one expires March 15th. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Amy. The House has also approved legislation barring U.S. imports of Russian oil. Let's get the details on that live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. The U.S. ban on Russian oil imports would go into effect 45 days after it's signed into law. The House legislation also takes steps to review Russia's access to the World Trade Organization, and it reauthorizes and strengthens the Magnitsky Act, which calls for sanctions on offenders of human rights. But the legislation does have a provision letting the president allow some projects, or products rather, to be imported from Russia if they're in the national interest. But they'll be subject to review by Congress. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. Inflation's also in focus this morning with the release of February's Consumer Price Index. We get a preview from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. A few weeks ago, many economists were eyeing February as the peak in U.S. consumer inflation. Now it's looking more like a fresh baseline. The Consumer Price Index is forecast to rise the most since 1982, but economists are now saying it could peak somewhere in the 8 to 9% range this month or next. The invasion of Ukraine and severe restrictions on the Russian economy will likely send the prices of staples like oil and food soaring. Without knowing how long the war will last, it's hard to know how high and for how long. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Mike, thanks. There's also a major market event overseas. We get a policy decision from the European Central Bank this morning. Here with details is Bloomberg's Hannah George. 
Faced with the twin challenges of inflation and war on its border, the ECB may postpone its timetable, setting out an end to trillions of euros of asset purchases. That would mark another abrupt shift in the central bank's stance. Just last month, President Christine Lagarde turned more hawkish in the face of inflation that's almost three times the 2% target. The danger now is that the invasion and sanctions against Russia will curb Europe's rebound from the pandemic. In London, I'm Hannah George, Daybreak. All right, Hannah, thank you. And in corporate news this morning, shares of Amazon are surging. They're up more than 6.5% in early trading after announcing plans for a 20-to-1 stock split. We can more from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It's subject to a vote by shareholders, which is scheduled for May 25th. The e-commerce giant's board also approved a $10 billion share buyback program. The repurchase authorization replaces a current $5 billion plan approved in 2016. The company previously split its stock three times in 1998 and 1999. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Charlie, thanks. S&P futures down 24 points. Dow futures down 215. NASDAQ futures lower by 95. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. And at 5.07 on Wall Street, it's 34 degrees in Central Park. Still dealing with the same issues on New Jersey Transit that have been with us for much of the week. I'll have details in traffic shortly. First, Michael Barr's here with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. The first licenses to sell to recreational marijuana customers and for distributors in New York will go to people who have a record. State officials said that people with marijuana-related convictions will get dibs on the first 100 to 200 retail cannabis licenses awarded by New York State. The state says it's part of a broader effort to redress the inequities of a justice system that locked up a disproportionate number of people of color for drug crimes. Governor Kathy Hochul is set to announce the planned regulations for social equity applicants today. Meanwhile, Governor Hochul showed her support for those suffering in Ukraine from the Russian invasion. An interfaith ceremony in support of Ukraine was held at a Ukrainian Orthodox cathedral in New York City. Hochul was there and said she was immersing herself in the community. When I look out in this room, yes, I hear the words of prayer on your lips, and those are powerful words, heartfelt words. But I also see tremendous pain in your eyes. Governor Hochul praised the defiance of the Ukrainian people in the face of Russia's invasion. South Korea's conservative president-elect Yoon Suk-yeol says he would solidify an alliance with the United States, build up a powerful military, and sternly cope with North Korean provocations. Hours after he won the country's hard-fought election to become its next leader, Yoon spoke with President Joe Biden on the phone. The White House is reacting to a bill that would make it illegal in Florida to discuss sexual identity and orientation in some classrooms. It heads to the governor's desk for signing. The state Senate passed the measure despite days of protests and student walkouts. The bill's supporters say it gives parents more of a say in their children's education. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. I think the most important question now is why are Florida leaders deciding they need to discriminate against kids who are members of the LGBTQI community? What prompts them to do that? Is it meanness? Is it wanting to make kids have more difficult times in school in their communities? 
Spokesperson Jen Psaki. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, Michael. Thank you. Coming up to 510 on Wall Street, time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stashauer. Good morning, Nathan. What's going on with the Knicks since a seven-game losing streak? 16 losses in a span of 19 games. The Knicks have suddenly won three in a row. They had gone almost two months without winning two straight. And over their last six quarters, Knicks have outscored the opposition by 61 points. It was easy in Dallas. Ball knocked loose. Trying to get it back. Dives. Deflects to Fournier. Corner three. It's good. Evan Fournier dials in the Knicks 55, Dallas 27. WPN the call. Final 107-77. Knicks fifth straight win in Dallas. The Dallas native Julius Randle scored 26. Mavs shot only 31%. They were 6 for 44 on three-pointers. They missed their first 19. At the Garden, St. John's beat DePaul 92-73 to to advance to play Villanova today at the Big East Tournament. Seton Hall got by Georgetown. 57-53. The Hoyas never won a Big East game all season. Butler upset Xavier in overtime at the ACC tournament in Brooklyn. Syracuse blew out Florida State by 39, but top scorer Buddy Bayheim threw a punch and the coach's son suspended for today's game with Duke. Heartbreak for Iona. A one-point loss to Ryder at the Mac tourney in Atlantic City. The Bronx won it on a shot with seven seconds left. They're 14 and 18. They advance. Iona at 25 and 6. Will settle for the NIT. In the baseball labor dispute, there's now said to be a new conflict. Whether to institute a draft for international players. If it's not one thing, it's another. And still no deal. The lockout continues. The first four series of the season have now been canceled. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan. All right, John, thank you. Red headline just crossing the Bloomberg terminal on talks between the Russian and Ukrainian foreign ministers. Dmitro Kaleba of Ukraine says Russia conveyed it will continue its attack until its demands are met. We get the very latest on the war in Ukraine next with Bloomberg's Mark Champion. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. Good morning. Bloomberg 1130 weather, partly sunny today, upper 40s for highs. Mix of sun and clouds, upper 40s tomorrow. Rainy, windy, maybe a little bit of wet snow on Saturday. Temperatures falling through the afternoon. Right now, 34 in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Tape. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures and European shares are falling amid concern. U.S. inflation accelerated for a sixth successive month. While investors turn to the European Central Bank to gauge policymakers' response to the war in Ukraine, we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 33 points, Dow futures down 281, NASDAQ futures down 129, the DAX in Germany is down two and a quarter percent. Ten-year Treasury up 630 seconds, yield 1.93 percent, they yield on the two-year 1.66 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 4.9% at $5.36 at $114 a barrel. COMEX gold is up 6 tenths percent or $12.50 at $2,000 an ounce. 
The euro, 1.1033 against the dollar. British pound, 1.3151. The yen's at 115.98. And the, and Bitcoin this morning lower, down 6.5% at $39,170. That's a Bloomberg business flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Karen. Talks between the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine just wrapped up on the sidelines of a diplomatic summit in Turkey. Russia conveyed it will continue attacks on Ukraine until demand are met. The City Council of Mariupol says an airstrike on a hospital killed three people, including a child. The World Health Organization said it has confirmed 18 attacks on medical facilities since the Russian invasion began two weeks ago. Major League Baseball has cut another week of the upcoming season with the lockout in its 98th day. The decision means the season won't begin until April 14th at the earliest. In the NBA, the Knicks and Celtics won. The Wizards lost. In the NHL, the Capitals lost in overtime to the Oilers 4-3. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thanks, Michael. It's 519 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Let's get more now on the war in Ukraine and these talks that just wrapped up between the foreign ministers of Ukraine and Russia. Mark Champion is with us now, Bloomberg News Senior Reporter for International Affairs. Mark, it's good to have you with us. And uh, just judging from the headlines that across the Bloomberg terminal coming out of these talks between Dmitry Kuleba and uh, Sergei Lavrov, it doesn't sound like much headway was made. No, I, there is a long way to go to, to cross, uh, you know, to, to get these two sides to meet. Uh, you know, on the one hand, it's already progressed that they're meeting and that the diplomatic level is increased from sort of technical uh, meetings up to uh, now the foreign ministers. But, you know, you have to kind of look at what each side is demanding. The, the, the uh, Russians are demanding that, uh, that, that there should be recognition of Crimea, which was annexed in 2014, as Russian territory. And they're demanding also that uh, the Donbass separatist territories, where there's been a war since 2014, um, that those should be recognized by Ukraine as independent uh, states. So that, uh, you know, a, a significant chunk of Ukrainian territory would be acknowledged as no longer part of Ukraine. Uh, that is, uh, as President Zelensky has uh, already said, uh, kind of a non-starter. They're willing to talk about status, to discuss status, what kinds of autonomy, that sort of thing, but they're not willing to just recognize. Um, and in the Ukrainian uh, position is that they, before they even start talking about those kinds of substantive things, they want the uh, Russian troops out. They want a ceasefire. And as Lavrov said, as he left, that's not happening. Are we seeing some signs of at least a little bit of progress when it comes to the idea of neutrality? We talked to the deputy chief of staff to President Zelensky yesterday, and he said that that could be on the table. And we've also heard from uh, Russian diplomats saying that they're not looking for regime change in Ukraine. Does that show some possibility that we could see at least some diplomatic movement? Absolutely. And we're, we've already moved significantly from where we were, say, on February the 25th, you know, the day after this began. I mean, at that time, uh, President Putin made very clear that he wanted Ukraine, first of all, demilitarized. So that meant the no uh, armed force for Ukraine at all. It would uh, have to lay down its arms and be uh, disbanded. Um, and secondly, it meant that uh, the denazification is what he called it, but that was regime change. 
Um, and they are no longer talk, talking about denazification. Uh, they, uh, the demilitarization they're still talking about, but it seems like that might be, uh, negotiable into, you know, some level of, uh, Ukrainian armed force. But, uh, but for the rest, you know, we're still very, a long way apart. Uh, and some very, very difficult. If you think that for eight years they were trying to negotiate uh, the terms of a political settlement for those separatist territories in the Donbass, and they weren't able to do it. You know, in a sense, we're back at that position, but with a, an armed conflict going on. Yeah, and when we see that armed conflict going on, we've looked at the reports of Russian forces getting bogged down to the north, and of course these uh, seemingly indiscriminate attacks on civilian sites in places like Mariupol. What does that tell us about where this war could be going from here, Mark? Well, I think it tells us something about why there has been movement, uh, especially on the Russian side. Uh, I think each side is under enormous pressure the, the, the Ukrainians simply because their people are being killed in numbers and their cities and infrastructure uh, are being destroyed. So uh, the Ukrainian side is very much under pressure, uh, but so too President Putin because he went in with a plan, uh, where, whereby Ukraine would be taken fairly quickly within days. Um, his troops would just drive almost into the center of the towns and would take, uh, take down the government in Kiev and in other cities and just replace it with something more friendly to Russia. And then he could, uh, organize uh, the terms on his, on his, at his leisure. That simply didn't happen. And so now he's had to move to a different military strategy, which involves basically uh, shelling cities into submission and hoping that eventually uh, Zelensky will submit uh, because of the pressure. But that is a, a, a that is a strategy with no obvious uh, time frame for the exit. And as we know from conflicts elsewhere, it can take a long time. Um, you know, suppressing a city. If you think of what happened in Yugoslavia in the eastern city of Vukovar, there was a famous siege there. Uh, mm-hmm. That that took ninety days. Thanks for this, Mark. Great to have you with us this morning, Mark Champion, senior reporter for international affairs for Bloomberg News. As we continue monitoring developments following the uh, foreign ministers' meeting uh, between Russia and Ukraine, Russia's Sergey Lavrov is now speaking. We'll uh, continue bringing. Uh, his comments and uh, developments to you as the morning progresses. Stay with us. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg 1130 weather, partly sunny, upper 40s today. Mix of sun and clouds tomorrow, upper 40s. Rainy for Saturday. That rain could mix with some wet snow as temperatures drop through the day. Right now, 34 in Central Park. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130 to Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. We're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. 
Air raid sirens in Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, this morning as Russia's invasion enters its third week. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky says he's willing to consider compromises, but he won't cede territory. You must strengthen sanctions against Russia so that it never has the chance to continue this genocide. You need to pressure Russia so that it sits at the negotiating table and ends this barbarous war. Zelensky says he has not spoken to Vladimir Putin. Foreign ministers from Russia and Ukraine spoke in Turkey today with no breakthrough. Moscow said it will continue its attack until demands are met. It's seeking surrender from Ukraine. Back in Washington, Karen Congress is ramping up pressure on Moscow. The House has passed a bill to ban oil imports from Russia. Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with the story. Renita. Nathan, the U.S. ban on Russian oil imports would go into effect 45 days after it's signed into law. The House legislation also takes steps to review Russia's access to the World Trade Organization, and it reauthorizes and strengthens the Magnitsky Act, which calls for sanctions on offenders of human rights. But the legislation does have a provision letting the president allow some products to be imported from Russia, and that's if they're in the national interests, but they'll be subject to review by Congress. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. Turning to Wall Street today, it's all about inflation. The Consumer Price Index is expected to increase at a 7.9% annual rate. Bloomberg's Vinnie Dal Judice has more. Red-hot inflation is probably going to get worse as the war in Ukraine sends global food and energy prices higher. Ukraine is a major wheat exporter. Russia, oil and gas. For now, economists are saying U.S. inflation could peak somewhere around 8% or 9%, perhaps in a month or two. Vinnie Dal Judice, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Vinnie, thank you. In overseas markets, the focus is on monetary policy. The European Central Bank decides on whether to raise interest rates and ease asset purchases. That strategy could be delayed as it navigates inflation and economic shocks from the war. I'm back here in the U.S., Nathan. For the first time in two decades, Amazon is splitting its stock. The company plans to boost its outstanding shares by a 20-to-1 ratio. It's also authorizing a $10 billion buyback, and Amazon shares up about 6% in early trading. Futures this morning are lower. S&P futures down 29 points. Dow futures down 230. NASDAQ futures down 118. And straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports, and this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. 533 on Wall Street. Foggy, 33 degrees in Central Park. We got an overturned tractor trailer southbound to Jersey Turnpike at exit 13. Hills coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Nathan. The first pot sales permits in New York State will go to people with convictions. The state's going to award up to 200 only to people who have been convicted of marijuana-related crimes. Governor Kathy Hochul says it's an effort to address the inequities of a system which has locked up people of color for such offenses at disproportionate rates. An interfaith ceremony in support of Ukraine was held at a Ukrainian Orthodox cathedral in New York City. Governor Hochul attended the event and praised the defiance of the Ukrainian people in the face of Russia's invasion. Ukrainians stand up, women grabbing weapons and going to the front line, some taking their children to safety, but others staying. I'll stand with the men and we'll fight back. 
Governor Hochul said she was immersing herself in the Ukrainian community. South Korea has elected a new president. Conservative Yoon Suk-yeol defeated his rival in one of the country's most closely fought presidential elections. Yoon spoke with President Joe Biden shortly after his win. Former astronaut Scott Kelly is upset with the head of Russia's space agency for threatening on social media to leave one of the American astronauts on the International Space Station behind when a Russian Soyuz spacecraft departs the station later this month. Kelly says he found the comments outrageous. The people at the Russian Space Agency, I've known many of them for well over two decades. I trust them. I've literally, literally trusted them with my life before. Kelly also says the events of the past weeks have taught us to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. A federal lawsuit filed in Colorado claims a group of Donald Trump supporters called the U.S. Election Integrity Plan has been sending its agents to people's homes in an effort to intimidate voters. They are said to have sent agents, in some cases armed, to voters' homes asking questions and taking pictures. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Michael. 535 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stashauer. Nathan, the Knicks enjoying life on the road. They had that heartbreaking loss in Phoenix. The Suns banked in a three-pointer at the buzzer, but they beat the Clippers in L.A. They came from 20 down at Sacramento, and they cruised to an easy win in Dallas. 107-77, so after going nearly two months without two wins in a row, Knicks have won three straight. Julius Randle coming off a career-high 46 points, this time at 26 in his hometown. R.J. Barrett added 18. Closing the games out. We just, that's, that's all we're doing you know, because the, the past couple games before that, we always, you know, are winning, have a lead, and then we would lose it. So really the difference is now is just finishing the games off. Randall called it the Knicks' best defensive effort of the season. They held the Mavs to 31% shooting. Dallas was 6 of 44 on three-pointers. Started 0 for 19. Knicks in Memphis tomorrow. Nets and Sixers tonight in Philadelphia as the Nets face James Harden. Ben Simmons still not playing for his new team. He had refused to play for Philly. He will be there tonight sitting on the Nets bench. Big East Tournament at the Garden. St. John's beat DePaul 92-73. to Seton Hall got by Georgetown 57-53. Big upset at the Mac Tourney in Atlantic City. Ryder topped Iona 71-70. The Gales had beaten the Bronx twice in the regular season, once by 26. But Ryder advances and Iona will settle for the NIT. Colgate going to the NCAAs for the second year in a row. The baseball lockout continues. Two more series canceled, wiping out a Mets road trip in Philly and Washington and a Yankee homestand against Toronto and Boston. The earliest the season could now begin is April 15th. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Baseball and taxes. All right, John, thank you. 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Ed Corey. Manhattan apartment rents soared to an all-time record high last month. Tenants paid a median of $3,630, the most for any month in more than a decade of data keeping, and up 28% from a year earlier. Leasing costs are now 2.5% higher than the previous record set in April 2020. The Brooklyn Tower is starting sales as the luxury market once again booms. After five years of construction, the Times reports JDS Development Group has nearly completed the city's first and only super-tall building, Tower, outside Manhattan. The Treasury Department says the Supreme Court shouldn't take up a case that challenges the constitutionality of a cap Congress imposed on federal deductions for state and local taxes. 
New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Maryland have said the cap undermines their sovereign authority over fiscal issues and their ability to raise revenue. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. It's 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. Steve Potusk, and on 1010 Wins in New York, we're talking about Manhattan apartment rents hitting another all-time high. I'm Courtney Donahoe on KFAB in Omaha. Caterpillar and Deer join firms suspending business in Russia. I'm Gina Cervetti, and for WCCO in Minneapolis, I'm reporting that Sun Country Airlines sees demand allowing airlines to pass along higher fuel costs. I'm Caroline Hepburn, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting on the government freezing the assets of Chelsea Football Club owner Roman Abramovich, along with six other Russian oligarchs. I'm Ed Corey on WWJ in Detroit. I'm reporting Stellantis, GM, Ford, and Tesla all gained ground on Wednesday. Those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 5.39 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. What's happening in Ukraine is a special military operation, not a war. President Vladimir Putin is a hero, standing up to Western powers. This is the story that most Russians have been getting from state TV channels. For everyone's sake, Russians need better information which is why the international community must support the dwindling number of journalists who are trying to provide it, either in Russia or reporting on Russia from abroad. Funneling state aid to Russian media organizations would be a mistake. It would undermine the independence local outlets have fought so hard to preserve. Far better for governments to look for ways to keep communication channels into Russia open and to assist Russian journalists by granting them asylum and work documents. We must support Russian civil society in what may prove to be a long exile, hoping that its proponents can do some good from abroad and someday return to a very different home. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Opinion Editorial Board. I'm David Shipley. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com opinion or OPI and go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Listen for Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPINGO. S&P futures down 31 points. Dow futures down 257. NASDAQ futures lower by 133 points ahead of the release of the February Consumer Price Index. Bloomberg's Michael McKee joins us next with a preview. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Partly sunny, upper 40s today. Partly sunny, upper 40s tomorrow. Rainy, windy, maybe a little wet snow Saturday with temperatures falling through the afternoon. Right now it's foggy and 33 degrees in Central Park. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures and European shares falling amid concern. U.S. inflation accelerated for a sixth straight month, while investors turned to the European Central Bank to gauge policymakers' response to the war in Ukraine. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. 
On Bloomberg, S&P futures down 30 points, Dow futures down 256, and Nasdaq futures down 128. The DAX in Germany is down 2.2 percent. Ten-year Treasury up 6.30 seconds, yield 1.93 percent. Yield on the two-year, 1.66 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 4.3 percent, up $4.70 at $113.40 a barrel. COMEX gold is up 7 tenths percent, or $40.30 at $2,002 an ounce. The euro, 1.1028 against the dollar British pound 1.3149 the yen's at 116.03 and bitcoin this morning down more than six and a half percent at thirty nine thousand one hundred twenty dollars that's a bloomberg business flash now here's michael barr with more on what's going on around the world michael karen thank you very much ukraine and russia made little progress in halting the war at the first high level talks between their foreign ministers since the russian invasion began Russia indicated it will continue its acts until its goals are met. Russia and Ukraine's foreign ministers met in Turkey today. Meanwhile, the city council of Mariupol says a Russian airstrike on a hospital killed three people, including a child. Major League Baseball has cut another week of the upcoming season with the lockout in its 98th day. The decision means the season won't begin until April 14th at the earliest. In the NBA, the Knicks and Celtics won. The Wizards lost. In the NHL, the Capitals lost in overtime to the Oilers 4-3. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, Michael, thank you. It's 549 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak on top of war risk. Inflation is top of mind for investors this morning with the Consumer Price Index for February due out at about 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time. We are likely to see another historically high reflection of the cost pressures Americans have been feeling for months now. Let's bring in Bloomberg Economics correspondent Michael McKee. Uh, Mike, good morning. Just checking the uh, eco function on the terminal. 7.9% is the uh, economist consensus for year-over-year inflation. Is the risk to the upside? There may be some risk to the upside, but it doesn't really matter in this sense. This is pre-war. And uh, we know energy prices have skyrocketed since then. Also, other commodity prices that eventually feed into uh, what we pay for goods around the the country. And so uh, this is probably not as bad as it's going to get. The Fed had hoped that we were getting into a season of uh, base effects where because inflation was very high during these months last year uh, due to COVID, that it would be uh, held down a little bit this year. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And the bad news on top of the bad news is uh, economists are generally pretty close in estimating what CPI is. Yeah, I wanted to ask a little bit more about how much harder it's going to be to predict peak inflation, given that we do have a war on now, and that's ob- having obvious effects on, for the least of which, is oil prices. Yeah, uh, it's oil prices. Uh, that's the most dramatic uh, change on a month-to-month basis, and it's the one that people notice the most because, of course, got to fill up your tank, uh, and every time you do, you see the prices are higher. But food prices are also going to be going up. Uh, it's a little bit less of an issue. We know soft commodities like wheat and corn are higher now because of the war. Uh, 
but there are middlemen between the farmer and you in the supermarket. So some of that gets absorbed. It's going to be a real problem in some countries, though, where food is a much higher part of a family's uh, monthly budget. And so uh, that could be a real issue. On top of all that, we're keeping an eye on uh, rents because house prices have been uh, still going up. Is that going to be affected by the fact that mortgage rates have gone up? Are we going to start to see an impact on that uh, because mortgage rates have gone up in anticipation of the Fed? And, of course, uh, when we think about food and energy prices, of course, those are the, uh, f- the highly volatile aspects of inflation that the Fed likes to strip out when it comes to its decision-making process. I mean, how important is this particular CPI going to be for the Fed when we do have so much likely future volatility with the war happening? Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, we thought a month ago it was going to be extraordinarily important, and now it's taken on much less import because the Fed's already told us what it's going to do this month. They're going to raise rates by a quarter percentage point. I suppose if we got a huge upside surprise, the Fed could surprise and raised by 50 basis points. But right now, it looks like we're kind of locked in. So the Fed is going to be looking down the road to see what the impacts of the Russian war are and what whether those impacts are going to be lasting. That's going to be key. Do we think that this war is going to go on and oil prices are going to be elevated and keep going up for months and months? That's the question out there that nobody has an answer to right now. Yeah, and certainly the question that we're going to be looking for a lot more clarity on as we do get that February CPI coming out at 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time. Bloomberg's Michael McKee, our economics correspondent. As always, good to get your thoughts ahead of the official read. Karen. Nathan, thank you. It is 5.53 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Law Report. Let's get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Jeff Bellinger. The Treasury is urging the Supreme Court to leave in place a lower court ruling upholding the constitutionality of a cap on deductions for state and local taxes. Four states are challenging the cap. California's Supreme Court refused to revive a suit by hotels who claimed their COVID-related income losses should be covered by their commercial property insurance. OSHA says COVID-19 remains its primary enforcement concern, even though mask mandates are being lifted in many places. Bloomberg Law. Everything you need, all on one legal research platform, including guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg Market Intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, Jeff, thank you. Now another legal story we're watching brings us to the Supreme Court. Justices have turned away Republican challenges to congressional maps drawn for this year's election in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. This could help Democrats win a handful of races in November, but the dissent in the case also raises some new concerns for Democrats. Four conservative justices say they wanted to consider a far-reaching legal theory that would shift more federal election power to the state legislatures, which are now disproportionately controlled by Republicans. For more on the case, Bloomberg's Joan Grasso speaks to elections law expert Rick Hassan, a professor at UC Irvine Law School. So the court left the maps in place. Was that an expected decision under current law? So the kinds of arguments that were being made against the two different states' laws were somewhat different. The claim in Pennsylvania was essentially punted. It was basically that a federal statute required that if the legislature didn't draw lines in a certain way, then 
you'd have to elect all the members of Congress from the entire state voting. And so that case just got punted and is going to be put before a three-judge court and will be back before the Supreme Court at some point. The more immediate interesting case is the North Carolina case, because there we've seen an argument raised that conservatives have been raising for 20 years, more than 20 years since Bush versus Gore, which is that state courts applying state constitutions have very limited powers to apply those state constitutions against state legislatures in federal elections. And that's because of a part of the Constitution that says the state legislatures get to set their rules for running congressional elections subject to Congress's override. It's very complicated. It's called the Independent State Legislature Doctrine. And so far, no majority of the court has accepted it, but there are a number of justices who have expressed some interest in it. So we're waiting to see what happens ultimately with the resolution of this issue. So in the Carolina case, the court's three most conservative members, Justices Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Neil Gorsuch, said they would have blocked the state court from adopting a new map, and they use this independent state legislature doctrine? That's right. And Justice Kavanaugh said, yeah, I think we should take this independent state legislature doctrine seriously. I just think we're too close to the election. But he suggested if the case came back for a regular hearing, not on an emergency basis, that he'd be willing to hear the case. It only takes four of the nine justices to agree to hear a case. So it seems pretty likely that this case will ultimately be back before the Supreme Court, maybe to be heard next year and with a decision a year from June. So the Democrats win here in the short term, but now this is something that they should be concerned about in the long term? Oh, I think absolutely, yes. This is something that really could have impact beyond redistricting as well. It could apply any time a state legislature's rule is challenged as violating a state constitutional provision, and it's going to be applied in a federal election. And that's Rick Hassan, a professor at UC Irvine Law School, speaking with the Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview, plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BLaw Go. And again, futures are lower this morning. S&P future is down 34 points. Dow futures down 285. NASDAQ futures down down 146. The DAX in Germany is down two and a quarter percent. Ten-year Treasury up 7.30 seconds, yield 1.92 percent. Yield on the two-year 1.66 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 3.9 percent, up $4.18 at $112.89 a barrel. The euro 1.1036 against the dollar. And still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.